Welcome to episode 187 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. Make sure you're following us at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. I am joined as per usual by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am uh, doing very well. I've got some Haribo uh, gummy bears and a little R2-D2 half a cup thing and uh, measuring cup, I guess I should call it. And then I got some caramel corn, also ready to snack my way through this episode in a good way. Not not, not saying I need to snack my way, but it's, it's my snack time and I'm ready to podcast about this wonderful show we're watching. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I am very excited to talk about this episode. Also, always excited to talk about Haribo Gummy Bears, the official candy of the MCU Fan Show, but unofficial, unpaid sponsor of MCU Fan Show. But this, as Paul was mentioning moments ago, is another spoiler review for WandaVision. We are talking about episode four. We interrupt this program, directed, of course, by Matt Shackman. This show was created for television by Jack Schaefer. This episode was written by Bobak Esfarjani and Megan McDonnell, who wrote last week's episode and is also writing Captain Marvel 2. So, Paul, we're just going to go in order. We don't have an ad to worry about this week, although I have to quickly correct myself from last week. Mm. I said the guy from the ad in the first two weeks wasn't in there. He is. He's there, like, waving a leaf with the woman who's in the bathtub during the Hydrosoak commercial. The the, uh, hairdo threw me off. I didn't know that was that guy. Um, But, uh, yeah, so no ad this week, but we had an incredible cold open. So it's black screen and we're hearing some dialogue and it's a conversation, the conversation that we saw in Captain Marvel a couple years ago when that movie came out. And this, of course, is when they're talking about Maria Rambo going along with Carol and Nick Fury and Talos to go up into space. Maria is not wanting to leave uh, Monica behind. And it's all part of that conversation. And also Monica talking about eventually wanting to go to space. And we hear uh, Carol's voice calling her in a couple of lines, including when they were handing out kids, they gave her the toughest one, meaning gave gave Maria the toughest one. And then we hear uh, Carol use her nickname for Monica, Lieutenant Trouble. And this is happening as Monica is Monica Rambo or Geraldine, as we've known her at this point to, in the show, is rematerializing. And she, in a panic, is going outside this hospital room, going down the hallway, and we see other people rematerializing. And they are rematerializing, Adam, some very small but very familiar particulates in the air that we are quite familiar with, with uh, Avengers Infinity War and, of course, Avengers Endgame. So this is everyone returning from the blip. And we have only seen one other version of this moment where we see the physical happening, the physical event of people rematerializing, and it was played for laughs in Spider-Man Far From Home. Yep. Mm-hmm. In this episode, in WandaVision, it is played for the chaos, confusion, terror, and tragedy that really happened as people were coming back after having vanished for five years. And we see the emotional stakes in this heartbreaking scene as... Monica is trying to find her mother, whom we know, Maria Rambo, as played by Lashana Lynch and Captain Marvel. Uh, Monica talks about how she just dozed off. She was asleep for maybe like 20 minutes, and she finds her mom's doctor, Dr. Harley, who had performed a successful surgery because Maria Rambo had cancer, and Monica's under the impression that the surgery went well and everything is fine. Well, the surgery did go well, but 
That was five years ago. Maria Rambo died three years ago, two years after Monica had disappeared as she was one of the people victimized by the snap and Thanos and the blip and everything with Thanos. And this scene, I I don't know that anybody had a receipt on this, thinking that we were actually going to get this event being showcased in WandaVision. I figured we would find out as some point of trivia who was blipped and who wasn't, and even that being part of Monica Rambeau's past. Uh, But this scene was just incredible the way that it did. It looked great. I mean, it looked as cinematic as the Marvel stuff we're used to seeing on the big screen. Uh, So the visual effects looked as great here as they did in Infinity War and Endgame. And uh, the the greatest effect of all, though, was the performance by Tiana Paris, who just sold the hell Mm. out of this moment in every way possible. Like I said, it's chaos, it's confusion, it's terror, and then it's just a devastating tragedy as Monica is learning that her mother passed away years ago, and Monica, who just dozed off for 20 minutes, never had a chance to say goodbye. Yeah, the juxtaposition between Far From Home and this is really, really interesting. I love the fact that you see the two polar extremes of both in the MCU. And I think that's pretty brilliant. And the opening scene, it, it kind of slaps you upside the head because you're not really, you're, you're not expecting it, one. And so when it started happening, I, you know, when it first starts showing up, I'm like, what is going on? I didn't even realize it until she like is in the hospital room. And I went, what? I went, oh, they're, like they're coming. She was gone mm-hmm. and she came back. Oh, and then you see the like you said, the chaos of everything. Such a great callback to I'm just going to say it, the continuity. Again, one one of the things we all love about this, uh, the MCU is that it's taking that idea of the comic book continuity that the shared universe, if you will, uh, ideas that the comic books have embraced and kind of spearheaded back in the 60s. And then taking that whole idea and how it affects other things and how that sets up other things, you know, these, these other moments, it's just, it's brilliant. It really is brilliant seeing that happen and that callback and just seeing it in, in a different perspective. Again, it's, it's fascinating because it's much like real life, right? I mean, as far as, uh, things happen, you know, just in around certain parts of the world and it's sometimes it's for, you know, the same thing that could be, you know, looked at it as, as a laugh you know, whatever, maybe like a, a storm comes in and something happens where like, Oh no, like something, you know, not comical, but something like, Oh no, that darn storm did this thing to my, to my thing. Ha <laughs> ha. Funny, funny, you know, or whatever, you know, it's something silly. And then also yeah. something tragic could happen from the storm as well. You know what I'm saying? So well, it's, it's like, happening now. People exactly. laugh and make jokes about COVID, even though we all know it's devastating and horrible. Yes. But this is part of how we deal with things sometimes is in some moments we, approach it with a arguably morbid uh, sense of humor. And then other yes. times we're respecting the full emotional weight of the moment, because if we right. respected the full emotional weight of the moment all the time, we would just be balled up in the fetal position. We would not be able to get out of bed if we focused on the full weight of the tragedy at all times. Right. But here's right. another key thing here is that tragedy plus time equals comedy. Spider-Man Far From Home is happening several months after this. Spider-Man Far From Home takes place eight months after everyone comes back. This is the moment right when everybody comes back. So there's nothing really funny about it now. Can people find a way to laugh about it eight months later? Sure. Um, And even even when we get to the main story, the A plot line of WandaVision, when they get outside of Westview, 
We're still before Far From Home. That's only three weeks after everybody returns. And, uh, of course, so that's about, what, seven and a half months before the events of Spider-Man Far From Home. Of course, worth noting that when it comes to timelines, even though these are made by Marvel Studios, the Spider-Man movies have not always been reliable, particularly when they work with the number eight. We all remember eight years later when it's really six between Avengers and uh, Infinity, or it can't be really more like four or five years between Avengers and uh, Captain America Civil War and then Spider-Man Homecoming. But anyway, uh, WandaVision seems to be placed in front of Spider-Man Far From Home in the MCU timeline. But speaking of continuity, Paul, there's another Mm. really interesting bit about this where I they they keep using the term the blip. It's the official term for the snap and everybody disappearing and reappearing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there's that part of it. But there's mm-hmm. another part of it. The name The Vanished for those who disappeared and came back. That is also mm. an official term. We don't really hear it spoken in the MCU, but it is on the memorial that Scott visits in San Francisco in Avengers Endgame. That's what they mm. that's how they refer to those who disappeared in the snap. So I like that there was even that little callback. Uh, in this episode and how they approached everything. And it also, I think, shows something we did talk about when we were uh, discussing Avengers Endgame and and doing our spoiler reviews for that, is that even though everybody was brought back, or not everybody, but those who were snapped away were brought back, Thanos left a permanent scar all over the universe because there are Mm going to be so many examples, countless examples of people just like Monica Rambeau, or maybe very different, but similarly tragic, in that it still took something from her that she can't get back. It still took the last couple years that she could have spent with her mother and robbing her of an opportunity to say goodbye, robbing her of an opportunity to carry on uh, her mother's legacy as far as playing a role in naming her replacement at S.W.O.R.D., as we'll get to later on in the episode. So I really like that this kind of reaffirms the stakes of Infinity War and Endgame that just because the Avengers were able to bring people back doesn't mean they really undid all the damage that Thanos caused. Yeah, there's definitely consequences from the the Thanos and and I think that to me again is where the MCU is really is treading on the ideas that the these comics have, have at least from the Marvel standpoint, have, have gone in and there's consequences to like these these things usually, these these events and that there's fallouts. And again, we're seeing that all over and how it, it affects not just the the, the culture of, of, the, of the world, but the people in charge and and, and everything else. Like there's con- again, or not consequences, but there's um, ramifications everywhere um mm-hmm. you know for every action there's a reaction and you're seeing those all over the place whether it be emotional reactions or there's you know military actions and and again i think we're kind of seeing that a little bit in in these in these episodes and and i think the beauty of uh of i think a shared universe and a, and a, and a bigger continuity is the fact that you can do this in a in subtle and big implications and it all it all it makes it it makes those previous things in those movies so much more greater, right? When we watch them, it's like, oh man, like again, the Monica Rambo thing is not necessarily this moment where it's the, the blip is like the, what's the word I'm looking for? The blip is not like this. Oh my God, you have to know what the, what the blip is. You get the idea and it's used right. and that's it. You know what I mean? It's not like they keep treading back on it. Like it's a, it's a reoccurring thing. Like, oh my God, we have to, 
you know, whatever. It, no, it, it, it's a plot point. It just it's kind of helps set up Monica's like, you know, characterization going forward. But that's it. It's not the basis of the character. And I think that to me is what Marvel has done a great job of in general the whole time of, of its existence is that even though it, these big things might happen, it's never usually like always the focal point usually. And sometimes it can be and that's fine. But here it's just a part of the characterization, not the basis of what the character is based on. And yeah. that's important, I think. I think so, too. And I think they also did a really good job of communicating the feeling of it. Yes. And I yes, think absolutely. they achieved that whether you I think I think just about everybody watching this show has at least seen Infinity War and Endgame, given the popularity of those movies. But I'm sure statistically there have to be some people out there who this is their first Marvel thing because it's always somebody's first Marvel thing, which yep, yep, Stanley yep. would always tell you anyway. So. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's the first thing, but for a lot of people, it isn't. But regardless of how familiar you are or are not, I think you are almost equally confused because of the way they set this up. They just throw you right into it. The way this scene is staged, like they don't even give you the Marvel logo or that wonderful Michael Giacchino fanfare. By saving that to after this and just leaving this as a cold open, whether you regardless of your sense of familiarity with the MCU, it's still tough to get your feet under you as all of this is happening. It's really difficult to find your bearings because it's such a chaotic scene. But I also think it does such a wonderful job of establishing a lot of things emotionally for Monica Rambeau. But at the same time, I mean, it's in a more anonymous way. We don't really know these people and we're not going to follow up on all of their stories. But even one of the guys she bumps into when he asks her if, if she has a phone because he's got to call his wife. So yeah, either this guy just came back or rather his wife was the one who disappeared and he's seeing people coming back and now he figures he's going to go ahead and attempt to call his wife. So you have this sort of chaos and confusion all over the place and it is part of this permanent scar that has been left on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just a brilliant cold open in the way that they did it, which is why we are now almost 15 minutes into this podcast and we're still talking about just the (laughs) first scene True to form for this podcast. Yeah, so yeah, it's true. Uh, our next scene takes place at Sword headquarters. We do have a departure from the comics in what Sword actually stands for in the comics. It is the Sentient World Observation and Response Department. Uh, they changed some words and dropped the word "and" in the MCU. It is the Sentient Weapon Observation Response Division. And we get a little bit of a clue, as that's explained to us by acting director Tyler Hayward. Uh, But before we get to that, just looking at this location, similar and yet very different from the Triskelion, the lobby looks exactly like the Triskelion. They've got their big sword emblem statue, just like S.H.I.E.L.D. had a big uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. emblem statue uh, right there or art installation in the lobby of the Triskelion. Secret covert agencies in the MCU are very, very big on branding, but I get it. It's fine. Um, But the area where S.W.O.R.D. seems to be, and they do not give us a specific location, it does appear to be much more remote, however. It doesn't seem to be smack dab in Washington, D.C. as as the Triskelion was. A little more secretive. Yeah, it definitely does. And even the way the facility itself, the biggest part of it actually isn't even what looks like the main kind of office building. The biggest part is a hangar sitting right in the middle. And then just branching out from that, we get these other buildings. And I'm not sure where exactly Monica has walked in, 
But she goes through the lobby. She tries to swipe her badge. It doesn't work because she hasn't been there for five years. Security guard gives her attitude, saying if it were true that she worked there, then the badge would also be working. But then uh, acting director Tyler Hayward, played by uh, Josh Stamberg, steps in and introduces Maria Rambo, and she introduces us to, or Monica Rambo, excuse me, and she in turn introduces us to this new character. But I really like just the little bit of world building here with Sword, and I, I like that we kind of have this af- this acting director guy who very much feel an acting, of course, being a temporary title, even though it seems like uh, if Maria Rambo was a director of Sword, and it sounds sounds like she was. This guy has been the acting director for three years. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Normally, yeah. you would get a permanent position, uh, but with no disrespect intended to Josh Stamberg, this guy looks like filler. He looks like you know holding for yeah. somebody else, whether that's Monica Rambo, although I think she's going the superhero route, not the director of Sword route, or the comic book director of Sword, Abigail Brand. I also wonder, though, if maybe the reason why director, acting director Tyler Hayward is the acting director is because S.W.O.R.D. might be, because S.W.O.R.D. has definitely been around since before Infinity War. It, it didn't mm-hmm. happen. It didn't, uh, it didn't arise after Infinity War because Monica was already a part of it when she vanished. So if it's pre-Infinity War... There seemed to be some sort of agency that Nick Fury was running or working with that was never identified. And so it does make me wonder if Nick Fury would be the choice to be the director of S.W.O.R.D. Mm -hmm. And this guy has to be the acting director because Nick Fury is maybe out in space doing things where we saw him several months after this in Spider-Man Far From Home. Although I don't get the impression Nick Fury was gone quite that long. For all I know, the ship that they're building in the hangar is actually the ship that Nick Fury is on. Although probably not. That's probably a scroll ship because uh, they've got better tech. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering why this guy is still the acting director. But I'll be honest, I, I don't expect him to be around uh, that long mm. unless he's a scroll who's going to stick around until Secret Invasion. I keep forgetting Secret Invasion is going to happen. This was interesting because I, I, and I'm, I'm not like the biggest sword fan. I've, I, I like the concept. I like the idea that there's shield and then, then they have sword. Um. I didn't know what it stood for, but I knew, but I knew that the purpose for it, at least in the MCU, was going to be more of the offense, and then the shield was the defense. And I think that now that they they altered the they altered, I think the original shield uh, uh, acronym yeah, as, as well. So it's like this is not abnormal for the MCU. Which again, I, I'll never forget. I thought what I thought it was a straight adaptation. Uh, when they first did it, and I remember reading like an Avengers West Coast comic where they actually like broke it down. I went, oh, that's totally not what what it is. But I think uh, Shield might have had one or two different meanings in the comics as well. I don't even know I if it was it did, the yeah. same one the whole time. Just like Modok has had a couple different things of what that oh, stands Modoc. for. Oh man, but yeah. So I, I think that, but I like what they're setting up here is that because. Nick Fury in Avengers is like, you know, he's talking to the world council and he said, we need to have something to like avenge or, you know, defend the the world because of, of yeah. Thor basically. And then, but so if, if you're, if you're as smart as uh, Nick Fury and in fact, and his exact know, words were, we need a response team and exactly and so what I, in the name here. Yeah. And so what, what I also think is interesting is that again, 
it's like what Tony said, like even his lies have li- or his lies have lies, yeah, his, you know, or, yeah, secrets have secrets or something. Yeah. Like secrets that. have secrets. Yeah. Excuse me. And the reason I bring all that up is because I think that he, he always knew he had a backup plan. He's very much a Palpatine. Justin would love this guy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but he'd always had a backup plan, right? To a backup plan. So I feel that sword was basically the Avengers 2.0 in a sense to where it was going to be the offense earth on offense, um, from the non superhero standpoint, and that's why you have the word weapon in the acronym there now. And I think it makes a lot of sense. It, it, everything you said there about, I immediately knew, I mean, not just knowing the comic books and knowing that, you know, brand is in there, but just also, I didn't even think about her at first. I honestly just thought of Nick Fury. Like you said, I think Nick Fury is the one who's going to be, he's pulling the strings everywhere. I mean, if brand does come in, it's probably going to be Nick Fury ahead of it, which again should happen. That's his kind of role. He's a smart and he's a leader. So yeah, I, I totally bought into the fact that what it was, and it made a lot of sense when I, like you said, Sean, seeing the word weapon in there, I'm pretty sure it wasn't the original one. And it made a lot of sense as being the offense for earth basically. Yeah, there's not really an indication that the name changed. Like, Monica doesn't really react to weapon being in the name. She just reacts to the idea that they don't create weapons when uh, Hayward uh, alludes to that. Uh, But Mm -hmm. a couple quick things before we, or one quick thing, is we do see Maria Rambo, uh, her photo is right there in the lobby, right by the door. And we see, again, her call sign from Captain Marvel. It is Photon. So Photon has to be the front runner for mm-hmm. Monica Rambeau's superhero name in the MCU should she become a superhero in the MCU. But I do like that they are certainly paying homage to her actually being Captain Marvel before Carol Danvers was in the comics because that's her rank, uh, Captain mm-hmm. with Sword. Maybe she'll still end up being Captain Marvel. I don't know. Uh, but right now, Photon seems to be in the running more so than like Pulsar or Spectrum or any of her other uh, one million superhero identities that Monica Rambeau yeah. has had in the comic books. I do hope, though, that Abigail Brand, one way or another, is in the MCU and ultimately becomes the director of S.W.O.R.D. if it's not going to be Monica Rambeau in a non-superhero role. As much as I appreciate Nick Fury, he writes his own ticket. He doesn't need to have this official rank. And also, yeah. I, I don't necessarily get the impression, while... I'm sure he was involved and and has been involved with S.W.O.R.D., and maybe this is what he's been doing post-S.H.I.E.L.D. We are told by Hayward, and Monica knows that it's true, that it was her mother, Maria Rambo, who built S.W.O.R.D. from the ground up. And that makes sense when we trace Maria Rambo back to being with Nick Fury in Captain Marvel. And so this idea that maybe Nick Fury, while he was running the agency that uh, was much more visible in S.H.I.E.L.D., Maria Rambo was part of this more covert operation with S.W.O.R.D., and maybe that's an agency that uh, wasn't necessarily overrun by HYDRA. Not really sure where all of that fell. Uh, Maybe we'll find out one day. I'm not sure. Um, But certainly something's up, though, with this guy, director, acting director, Tyler Mm -hmm. Hayward. Again, certainly people are calling out the scroll vibes for this guy. That is uh, potentially part of it. Um, but I think there's more, there's other options when mm-hmm. he does talk about how they shifted away from manned missions. And part of that's just been necessary because there aren't as many people who've been willing to go to space. It is clear though, that Monica Rambo has been to space just like she said she would when she was little Lieutenant trouble. But when Hayward is talking about creating weapons, he talks about refocusing on robotics, nanotech, AI, 
These are all very Iron Man, Stark Industries type of things when he starts talking about sentient weapons, like it says on the door. And so if this guy has a future, or somebody else from S.W.O.R.D. who has ill intent has some sort of future in the MCU, it may not just be Secret Invasion, it could also be Armor Wars, because we know that is going to be about people wanting to get their hands on Stark Tech, mm. and Rhodey is going to have to stop them. And, you know, even nanotech especially became a very big thing with the last few iterations of Tony's Iron Man armor before he died in Avengers Endgame. But I also like the back and forth between Hayward and Monica, because as he's saying sentient weapons, like it says on the door, she fires back. It also says it also says observation and response on that door, not creation. So that's what they're supposed to be doing, is observing and responding to sentient weapons that already exist. Metahumans that are superpowered beings, enhanced individuals that already exist, alien threats that already exist, not necessarily being the ones to create them. And then we see the different philosophies where Hayward is saying that, you know, now we have unexpected threats in space. And I like that Monica's counterpoint to that wasn't the exact opposite. It was an acknowledgement, but also saying it was more than that. There were always unexpected threats in space. But then she mentions that there are also allies, and those are allies that she knows, including mm. Captain Marvel, who went off into space, as well as the Skrulls, who she knew were allies from deep in space and who went back into the depths of space uh, and maybe would return. So I like that we have that differing philosophy. And then when the conversation shifts to, hey, we're talking about how Maria built Sword from the ground up, and how this is Monica's home, and she should have been here to help name the replacement. And uh, Hayward or Monica set, talks about him being the obvious choice, and Hayward just concedes that he was the only choice. And Monica says, "Yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but yeah, that's kind of true." Which is probably why he's still acting director and not the permanent director of Sword. I do think there's a little bit, and maybe more than just a little bit, there's a hint there that Monica Rambo doesn't fully respect. Hayward. And I think as the episode carries on, we start to see the reasons why. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And he is flat out wrong. Uh, Jimmy Wu is smarter than him, knowing that the perimeter would the energy field would extend <laughs> subterraneously. Uh, so, yeah, uh, acting director Hayward got one of his men lost in uh, in this episode, which we will get to. Um, so as the meeting continues and uh, we get uh, this first mission for Monica that she's back, She's ready to go back into space, but she has been grounded via a protocol that was established by her mother. According to Hayward, this guideline was established by Maria Rambo for personnel who return, vanished personnel who return. Hayward says that the upside of this is that it means Maria always believed that everyone, including her daughter Monica, would come back. I don't know if that's just a line to get Monica to buy being grounded or if that's really what happened. But either way, this means that Monica is going to be tasked with working with the FBI on a missing persons case because she has to chaperone a drone rather than being chaperoned by drones, as Monica says is the norm. So this is just our setup, which is going to get us to this meeting with Agent James E. Wu, who is parked just outside of Westview, uh, talking to some sheriffs. And we see that James Wu has presumably not been blipped because he has perfected his close-up magic since we saw him struggling with it in Ant-Man and the Wasp. So I think he's had the benefit of five years practice and with his close-up magic where we see what he does with his business card. But uh, we also find out that this is not just 
any missing persons case. And as Wu says, I've got a witness set up down the road in Westview. And this morning, it looked like he flew the coop. Monica's wondering if this is somebody in witness protection. Wu talks about how he contacted known associates and relatives. And Monica's under the assumption that it's the usual law enforcement thing that a witness disappears and everybody's covering for him. No, in this case, as Wu points out, nobody's ever heard of this witness. And these are the known associates and relatives of this witness who disappeared. And then when they talk to the cops, because Jimmy Wu rightfully detected that things are a little bit hinky here, they talk to the cops who are standing right outside of Westview, right in front of the sign for Westview. They say there's no such place. They are from Eastview. So we've established that there is this selective amnesia. And I thought this was a really interesting point, Paul, because there's already been, it would seem, some form of selective amnesia inside of Westview. And now we see whatever mind-altering effects are happening inside are not exclusive to within that barrier. Clearly, this is having an impact externally as well. Yeah, and we gotta, I gotta tread lightly because the reasons and all that stuff is gonna be revealed essentially in some, a form of, of what's going on will be revealed at the end of this episode. But this is a great scene. Um, I For those who are longtime listeners know that I've only seen Ant-Man and the Wasp once and uh i will eventually get to rewatch it but i've only seen uh mr Wu here in, in one film that one time and it was fine but i really liked him in this in this show and i in this episode specifically and i really li- liked his reintroduction I, I almost feel like he's a brand new character to me because i don't remember him i, I remember him but i don't remember him super he well is totally the guy from ant-man and the wasp i think he even says hanky in ant-man and the wasp um mm. but he's totally the guy who explained at first in little kid terms about captain america drawing on walls in germany or Scott helping Captain America draw on the walls in Germany to talk, breaking it down in terms of Article 16, Paragraph 3 of the Sokovia Accords, as he's telling Cassie exactly what happened and why her daddy's in trouble. And of course, uh, Wu knows how to explain things like that to kids because he's also he is also a youth pastor. <laughs> See, he's, he he was definitely one of the better parts of that movie. I I need to rewatch. He's that. amazing in that movie. Yeah, I've he, he I've is, always loved him in that. Yeah. So I mean, Randall and, Park in general is awesome and proved it in ant-man and the wasp and again here yeah no and i think here and again not having rewatched that in a, like, a long time i really liked him in this and it, it was given he gives the he gives this episode and this really weird this weird series that this you know because basically wandavision is a, is a psychological thriller and you gotta and again this is the first episode we're getting kind of a grounding of everything and there's and they've introduced some of the co- comic relief, you know, which we'll get to that in a second as well. But him specifically, I thought was a he's a really great touch to this, and I think that he gives like, at least for me, and I already already know pretty much what's going on or whatever. But he even gave me like a real like a, not a reassurance, but something just it just it was nice to get kind of a ground again that grounded feel from a character like him who's funny, but he's not over the top. And it's, it's just, it's subtle sometimes, sometimes a little heavy handed, but it's not, his delivery is so good and Mm -hmm. he's such a good natured character that you don't really like, it doesn't bother me. So, and, and because he's not just a, well, I used to be the FBI, but now I'm part of sword. It, he's a part of the FBI right now, which we we're probably, I'm assuming 
we're going to see him escalate to something else, which I'm excited for because I'm already now invested with him even more than I was in Ant-Man and the Wasp. I want to see him a bigger part of the MCU going forward. So I'm already like, okay, obviously they're setting up this guy is going to connect to the, you know, these people and he's probably going to yeah. join sword, which is cool. I want, well, he's to just such a genuinely good guy. Like he's yes. the only one who gives Darcy Lewis. And we will talk a lot about Darcy Lewis. He's the yeah. only one who actually gives her proper credit for discovering a way to view what's happening inside of Westview. When all they were doing was flying drones again and again into oblivion and sending a guy down a tunnel and sending that guy to basically be lost. So she's the only one who figured anything out in the time that they were there. And Wu actually recognizes that and gives her credit for it when everybody yes. else just doesn't care. And then you have, uh, and then even later on, when they try, she has the idea of reaching via the radio and we get a replay from the other side of the radio call from episode two. And even when it doesn't work out, he gives her a good effort. And he means it. It's not like this condescending, patronizing sort of thing. Like he genuinely means that it was a good effort and a good idea worth trying. And that's just Jimmy Woo being uh, impossibly polite. But uh, yes. it's not impossible. It's real. This is who he is. And I love it. Yeah. No, I, I think he's I'm really excited what they set up with him in the series and where he could what he could mean for the future, because I basically look at him and and see a lot of Colson vibes. And again, I like that. I like that we're creating yeah. these. And this is where I'm, I'm really happy about the MCU. They're, they're not just creating like their own superheroes, super villains, which, you know, one day that probably will happen. But, um, you know, I guess you could count the Chitauri as, as that. Um, but as a villain, you could say. And that's now been adopted uh, into the 616 universe. But I like the fact that we're getting these characters like a Coulson now, uh, a Jimmy Woo, who are they're different and 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 but they're gonna they're they're essential for establishing the general audience and helping them kind of ground things and make them their own unique characters and i think colson is his own unique character but i look at jimmy woo as this character that is uh he's this character that he's, he's just good-natured person and that he again like he's almost like the captain america that's not superpowered he's right. almost like even even more like pure than captain america if that's even possible and that's what he already gives off in this and i think that's really interesting and a good and obviously we, we it plays off for great laughs and i think it's something that to also remind us that there are good people in this in this world that are, are pure yeah. like a captain america so that's i think that's good yeah it's great that this character is just so genuinely good and so much fun and randall park so good in this role as jimmy woo and Really excited to see him continue on. Well, we'll talk more about Jimmy Woo throughout this episode. Yes. But um, as this series continues on and presumably as the MCU continues, we will see more of, of Jimmy Woo, perhaps, yeah, taking a job with S.W.O.R.D. Uh, by the end of this series, we shall see. I think it's also interesting to just see the way things are working with this whole selective amnesia because it shows, as I said, the impact of this event, this Westview anomaly, as they call it at some point in the episode, it has, the impact goes beyond that force field. It goes beyond that barrier. And when we talk about who can make people see things, not see things, distort reality, make people forget things, that's Wanda. And what is happening here, I mean, it's probably Wanda doing this, as we'll get on through the episode, but... Um, I think it's also important to establish motive in this, and it makes sense. Like it's a, We don't know why it's Westview. Uh, we do know that it's a very small town, population, I think, about 3,892. 
and it makes sense for it to be a small town, but it needs to be a town because if she wants to have, whether consciously or subconsciously wants to have this sitcom reality, there still need to be people in it. It can't just be her and Vision isolated. There needs to be some sort of life and there needs to be other people, but it's also got to be small enough that many people will not have heard of it, but some people will know. And so you got to make sure they forget that it exists and they forget about the people who live inside that town. Otherwise, people are going to come looking. And obviously, whoever set this up, probably Wanda, uh, did not account for a somebody in the witness protection program uh, being present in Westview when all of this started. But then we get this uh, thing where, again, the cops drive off, they're useless, and then Monica wants to know why Jimmy Woo hasn't gone into town to investigate, and he says that uh, you can feel it too, can't you? Nobody's supposed to go in. I don't know if I totally buy that, uh, but fine, uh, because we got to set it up that Monica's going to be the one to disappear behind the barrier, not uh, Jimmy Woo. So I'll go ahead and buy it that he's just feeling it, but that could also be the effect of, uh, of Wanda as well. I mean... Monica wonders why they can see that Westview exists and know that it exists and other people can't. And she already she rattles off a couple of quick theories. Is it because of a a perimeter of how far they were whenever this started? Is it because of uh, is it because they have no attachment to Westview? And so it only covered people who had a pre-existing known attachment to Westview. And so. We, they don't know exactly how it's working, but Monica gets out a drone that she was there to chaperone. It is in full Captain Marvel colors, so I got to believe this one belongs to Monica Rambeau. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the as Wu is going on about growing up and being from Bakersfield and having an Elliot Ness poster instead of Michael Jordan... Uh, Monica is, yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, Monica flies her drone, uh, in through the barrier. It disappears. And of course it goes on, has that same number 57 goes on to be the toy helicopter from episode two, which we will see again later on in this episode. But what I found, what I also found interesting, I found this entire episode interesting, but what I also found interesting about this moment was that Monica didn't actually walk through the barrier. She put her hand in it, but then it looked like she got pulled through. And Mm. I thought that was kind of interesting to where, you know, it's not if you get near that thing, if you get close enough, it's just going to pull you in. At that point, you don't get to make the conscious choice to step into that reality, which is just another way of it kind of taking over as Monica clearly did not have her full presence of mind while she was Geraldine inside the sitcom reality of Westview. But This is all happening, by the way, in a day. Jimmy Woo was in Oakland or in Northern California, Oakland, San Francisco, Bay Area that morning when he was checking in on the witness, couldn't find him, did this investigating. And Jimmy Woo does use male pronouns when referring to the witness. Um, And I don't know, this witness might end up being important. I suspect that this witness is going to be important because they don't identify this witness here. That Whoever Jimmy Woo was originally tracking that brought him to Westview has still not been identified as of the end of this episode. And I feel like if that's not supposed to mean anything and it's simply the reason Jimmy Woo got here in the first place, and that may be all that it is, but I feel like if that were the case, why not close that loop now? Why not say Jones was the witness or Herb was the witness or somebody like that? Why not close that off now and then just move on if they're leaving that open then it feels like something to explore in a more significant way later on. 
Um, but we shall see. Uh, but anyway, after this event, it's 24 hours later, and now Dr. Darcy Lewis is part of a full clown car. Uh, she is in the field, of course, of astrophysics, as we saw her interning for Jane Foster in Thor and Thor the Dark World. And there's also a nuclear biologist, an AI expert. And at this point, no one cared. The Boy Scout leader who didn't want to be part of the conversation initially, turns out, is a chemical engineer. But uh, Darcy is also clocking that FBI, Army, Air Force, Office of Special Investigations. There's a whole lot of people here and a whole lot of different agencies that are investigating this Westview anomaly. And I just love that Dr. Darcy Lewis, who I presume was not blipped because she had time to get her PhD. Mm -hmm. I just love that this is something that she carried on with. And I wonder why she carried on with it because she wasn't exactly the most passionate intern. And so I, it makes me wonder more about Darcy's relationship with Jane. I mean, of course, Darcy's own career track and her own choices for herself, most importantly, but also was it really just hanging around with Jane and Thor and Selvig that made Darcy want to continue on in this field that she didn't really seem to care that much about? Or is this part of the storyline with Jane that may go into Thor Love and Thunder with Jane having cancer, perhaps, like she did in the comics? Although uh, Natalie Portman already confessed that was part of it in an interview, so it's not me who spoiled it, uh, unless you didn't read the interview, in which case I'm still going to blame uh, Natalie Portman for that and the comics. Anyway, um, was it something that was going on with Jane that just made it that just made Darcy Lewis that much more motivated to continue on? I mean, not that I expected Darcy Lewis to not have a career for herself, but to continue on in this same field all the way to the point where now she is obviously one of the foremost experts or she wouldn't be here in this clown car in the first place. I totally forgot that she was me in the show, even though you mentioned it looking back on the first, I think the first episode, like pe people are guessing that's who was watching WandaVision the, in the first episode, which we got confirmed in this. Yeah. Um, I totally forgot when she showed up and went, Oh yeah, I forgot Darcy's <laughs> back. Um, I, I don't remember disliking Darcy, but I don't remember loving Darcy and especially in the second movie. I don't, I don't remember. I just, it's been, I don't, I don't rewatch Thor dark world very often. It's definitely again, on the lower tier with uh, Ant-Man and the wasp for me. So I, I didn't, didn't hate her in, in the first Thor movie at all. I, I thought she was enjoyable and it was a good comic relief. And I thought a good, uh, again, kind of like the, the Jimmy Woo character, as far as that grounding and the reality that we needed. And it was, a, again, going back to the continuity thing that I like, I love that there, she's come back. She's even more, I, 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 will, I will definitely say powerful in a sense to where, yeah. like you said, Sean, she is a doctor now. She has a doctorate in what she does. I'll be honest, I totally forgot like where and why she was doing in Thor. So I just assumed what she was doing in Thor was what she was doing for this. So you tell me all that. I'm like, I totally forgot. Because to be quite honest, I didn't really care about Darcy as a character that much. And again, I, I'll have to go back and listen to our old episode if it's even still around, the Dark World, World episode, which feels like that was like 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, that uh, it's not around that See, uh, yeah. that spoiler review is was actually part of Modern Myth Media. It predates, no way. yeah, because oh, that was November man. of 2013. This podcast didn't come around until 20 early 2015 in the run up to Avengers: Age of Ultron. But uh, I've always been a big fan of Darcy, going back to the first Thor film in 2011, Dark World in 2013. I've always thought that Cat Dennings was so much fun in this role. 
it was actually one of the arguments that I would make most of the time in my own head, but sometimes in podcast form, I think. But when people were talking about how Taika Waititi was going to bring humor to the Thor franchise in Ragnarok, and I'm like, the Thor franchise is already funny. It got yeah. a lot funnier in Thor yes. Ragnarok, no doubt about yes. that. Yeah. I'm laughing a lot harder now than I was in Thor or Thor The Dark World, but there was already a healthy amount of humor in the franchise, yes. and it wasn't all Kat Dennings, but she was a significant part of it. I mean, Mio Mio comes from Kat Dennings' Darcy. Yes. And you talk about- A great Thor thing, too. Yeah, and you talk about Thor The Dark World, and she has a couple of my favorite moments. There's a great- Mew Mew line as there everybody's like seeing each other through this convergence thing of everybody appearing oh, yeah. and reappearing and then yeah, Mew Mew yeah. goes flying by and she calls it out uh, but yeah. she also has one of my favorite lines is when she first finds uh, is reunited with Thor and she says so how's space I just I mm. love that she's always mm. been so much fun but I like that in this show she's not just comic relief she's still funny with the way she responds to things, like when Hayward is like asking a bunch of these, these questions and he's, she's like, I don't know, oh. I don't know, and I don't know. Um, so she has, she still gets her funny moments, but she's also making probably the most important discovery of the entire episode, which she gets the Marvel science explanation for what exactly is happening here. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, before we even get that, we see dro another drone going into it. And they refer to S.W.O.R.D. having lost multiple drones in there. So I'm pretty sure all these drones flying in are the loud bangs that Wanda and Vision were hearing in episode two uh, at the very mm. beginning. That was scaring oh, them. Yeah, Probably yeah, drones yeah. flying through the barrier and maybe other things going through the barrier potentially. But what Darcy picks up on is a colossal amount of CMBR that is cosmic, as they explain it later on uh, in the episode. That is cosmic microwave background radiation. It is relic radiation that is left over from the Big Bang. And there are two meaningful parts to that. One is that this is why the TV thing works, and this is why they're able to see it. She detects the long waves, uh, a long wave broadcast frequency within all of that noise. And that actually makes sense because it is that CMBR, that relic radiation, that was picked up by old television sets. That's the static in between channels and the, the white noise in between channels and things like that in old television sets. So that's our Marvel explanation for how they're able to see. But how is all this even happening in the first place? Well, if this is all being generated by relic radiation left over from the Big Bang, mm -hmm. what else traces all the way back to the Big Bang? Mm -hmm. Well, as Wong says in Avengers Infinity War, to catch everybody up on the Infinity Stones, because they didn't, in case you didn't know and hadn't been following the Infinity Saga up until that point, the Big Bang sent six elemental crystals hurtling across the Virgin Universe. So Infinity Stones, and perhaps more specifically, the Mind Stone could be part, and that might be why this is relic radiation, is Infinity Stones may have that same relic radiation. And I say specifically the Mind Stone because, of course, that is how Wanda either got her powers or that's how her powers were unlocked, uh, was via exp being experimented on with Loki Scepter by Strucker. Loki Scepter, of course, housed the Mind Stone until it was taken out of the Scepter and put in Vision's forehead. So this might be how Wanda is doing this. 
if it's Wanda and it's all Wanda, and we'll talk about that at the end of the, uh, we will get to that moment for the end of the episode, but this might be how she's doing it, is she has created this radiation field uh, that is warping this reality in some ways and keeping people in, keeping people out, uh, and changing things that go in that uh, this is, and part of the reason must be this radiation that's allowing them to see it via television is, yeah, maybe it is Infinity Stones being traced all the way back to the Big Bang, just like this relic radiation. Man, there's so much you just unlocked right here. It's like, oh my God. Okay, first of all, I, I, I go with the Cat Dennings thing. I want to finish up this. There's a couple things. I didn't mind her in this, but I didn't really, it, she's whatever. She did annoy me a little bit. I have to, I have to say, didn't, I didn't love her, but I did, yeah, just most of the time I didn't really care. But then other times I'm like, Ugh. but one also really quick thing about this and Sean, maybe it's just me or if anyone else noticed this, cause I, I have like sometimes audio issues with, with my TV or as not audio issues with my surround sound, my audio sometimes like backward, like too far back or forward. I have to like readjust it the right way. Um, when I, when specific, not, not just with her, but a couple of different other people, the ADR just really stuck out to me and not all the time, but a lot of times with cats specifically, it felt like really apparent, like there's ADR, like just, I, I was like, man, this is so like, obviously ADR. It's like almost distracting me because other times she, you could tell it wasn't. And it was just, it, it was weird. I just, her pronunciation and how she talked was just so, it just seemed like almost overacting. It was weird. It just, it was kind of hard to explain, but did anyone else notice this? I don't know if it's just me being weird, like Wolverine's hair, you know, whatever, uh, back in the day, Sean, I don't know. Uh, there might've been a delay in your audio hookup. I didn't notice anything with her audio being out of sync with her. Well, it wasn't out of sync though. Movement. That, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, I was a little maybe this is but because my TV does have like audio sync issues. It was more of like I just noticed her vocal just was very almost over the top in places where other places it wasn't, and it wasn't like an acting thing. It was an audio thing. This is weird. It just yeah. it just seemed very odd to me. And like I said, the ADR just really stuck out to me, which usually it doesn't. But with her, it really stuck out. I'm like, man, you tell that she re-recorded these lines because her voice. Like it just was weird. Anyway, I'm just wondering if I was the only one on that. On that. I, yeah, I don't know. I didn't detect anything like that of uh, this being an obvious ADR a, session yeah. or for all I could tell, these lines were spoken on set uh, on the day. But um, yeah, I, I thought <laughs> I, I love the discovery, though. I, I love the implications that it may have. I mean, maybe this will not have anything to do with Infinity Stones. But I mean, why wouldn't it? The Cabinet of Mysteries had the Mind Stone plastered all over it we know I've got, i got some of that i got I we have, know I, I, oh yeah, yeah well just to recap with what we've seen yeah. so far we know about cabin of mysteries we know that's where wanda got her powers or what unlocked the powers and we also know that there's this scene in the trailers that they've played it doesn't seem like a real thing that's happening but wanda uh approaching the mind stone in that you know golden yellow light of the mind stone so I'm kind of feeling like, yeah, this is ultimately going to be the the Marvel science explanation of mm. how this is happening and, and how it traces back to Wanda. Because I see this is why I love we're so different in how we interpret things. This is very much in life in general, with everybody. Right. But when I heard that, Sean, I got mutant vibes and I know I wasn't alone on that. And that when I heard that it was something that where I thought 
because again, going back to the Big Bang creation, mutants could always have been around. Maybe they're, they're hidden. We don't really know how mutants are going to be. You know, I mean, they haven't been around since the Big Bang. Right. But what I'm wondering is if that maybe somehow the, the mutants or the mutations can originate or somehow like came from like this, the same radiation things that they're talking about. That's what I'm wondering. And so when, when he mentioned that radiation thing, I went, okay, so there is some kind of, well, I mean, if you merge our two ideas together, it's, and you go with the unlocked, the powers theory. Yes. This radiation could be what activates the mutant gene. It, yeah. And then this is what I'm wondering exactly what, cause, cause again, power level of Wanda because let's be real she's ridiculously powerful oh it's in insane the show yeah in, in, the, in the comics she's like a god basically right yeah. but she's yeah insane the thing is I'm wondering if this is how they are able to table her a little bit and depower her by the end of this if not series but maybe at the end of Doctor Strange because you gotta think if she is a mutant it would and have a mutant that powerful, you'd have to have probably other mutants almost equally as powerful. And that'd be kind of ridiculous. Right? So what I'm wondering is what if, like you said, Sean, it unlocks the powers, which we both have talked about that a lot. And I agree with you. I think that's there, but I just kind of thought with this episode, what if this explains her power level of how she's able to like be bonkers powerful and this might depower her. And again, not, not in a necessary, like we got to depower her because you know, whatever, but they, again, to explain kind of like mutants and things like that to kind of bring her down a little bit to where they can have mutants come up above with her. Because, again, if you have a mutant that powerful, that's just a mutant that would be you'd have to, again, you'd probably have to have other mutants that powerful and them never be discovered until now. It would just be it's too hard to write and explain. It would make a lot more sense if that the Mind Stone enhanced her powers or unlocked her powers or both. And then they're able to, there's kind of like almost like a mutation upon a mutation. So that kind of idea, which would be very, very interesting, which I think is definitely still there in right. my opinion. And then that's, that's where I'm going with it. And I I'm, I'm rooting for, because I think it's, again, what we get at the end of this episode, it feels more than the mind stone. It feels like there's something more at play, but that's just me. Yeah. I mean, I think knowing Wanda's mutant, origins in the comic books it's hard not to look at all these different ways that marvel can ultimately achieve that in the mcu because it seems like the thing they could do they could just do what they've done continue along as they have up until this point where wanda is not a mutant and that's not going to be ultimately how she got her powers it's not going to have anything to do with any of that but it still might and i think there is something worth keeping an eye on here is when uh, Dr. Darcy Lewis is talking to just the sword goon and saying that he says the radiation is within a safe limit, and she says, yeah, for now. And mm-hmm. that's a very interesting thing, because you're talking about why were or how were all these mutants, including like Omega-level mutants, how could they have been hidden? Well, if this radiation expands and it's something that activates a mutant gene, maybe nobody's been activated except Wanda and Pietro. And maybe if this radiation goes beyond that safe limit and expands, it will activate it in more people. And I have to credit Alex, who is one of our listeners and also part of our Patreon community. And because he he pointed out that 
if we're talking about this event having any expansion at all, and we are in Westview, New Jersey right now, well, also in New Jersey, in Jersey City, New Jersey, right now, is Kamala Khan. And how she got her powers in the comic books was just kind of a matter of convenience of what had been set up uh, in story with a Terrigen bomb having been detonated and creating a Terrigen cloud that was rolling around Earth in Jonathan Hickman's Infinity event. And also because of a very corporate initiative to try and get Inhumans to replace mutants, uh, which did not work out very well. But anyway, <sighs> that's why Inhumans became such a big thing in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Anyway, long story, uh, <laughs> and, and we've been over it. But the idea of Kamala Khan getting her powers by being Inhuman, I've always felt like that was going to be something that changed in the MCU, because there's just no setup for it. And... It's not even really about who she is. Uh, being an Inhuman isn't necessarily what defines her as a person in any way. It was just a matter of the... It was just, at the time, the most convenient way of explaining how she got her powers. Well, if we set aside Terrigen Mist and Terrigenesis and Inhumans and all of that, and maybe that stuff comes into it with Kamala Khan, I'm not ruling it out, but if you're looking for other ways for her to have her powers, this could be it. I mean, if this radiation expands at all within the state of New Jersey, then this could be how Kamala Khan gets her powers, and it could be Mind Stone related. And the Mind Stone, by the way, isn't even the only Infinity Stone that grants powers. Carol's powers are from the Space Stone. So we know that there is this thing that kind of unlocks it, and would that mean if Kamala Khan gets her powers via this radiation, would that mean that she is therefore a mutant? Well, only if that becomes a definitive rule and Wanda is also a mutant. So it could be activating a mutant gene, and it wouldn't shock me if Kamala Khan turned out to be a mutant instead of an inhuman in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it might just be the radiation, and there's no mutant gene whatsoever. Um, but when we're also... A key thing, though, I think, in, to watch in this series would be... I mean, unless it's a post credit scene with Kamala Khan at the very end of the last episode of WandaVision, which might happen, since Ms. Marvel is going to be on Disney Plus later this year. But another thing that's worth looking at is Monica Rambeau at the end of this. Like, when she goes through the barrier, is she exactly the same as she was when she went in? Or has she been altered? And there was a little preview of the rest of the season that Marvel released today, and I won't go into every detail of it, but one of them was Monica getting checked out. I don't know if she was about to go get an MRI. And they do got to check her out, right? They got to make sure that physically she's okay, uh, they have to check on her brain because uh, her brain was scrambled to some extent. I mean, obviously, she didn't totally know who she was while she was inside of Westview, but she seemed to gain enough awareness to reach the conclusion that it's all Wanda. So maybe there's other things that they need to check out. It might just be a routine checkup to make sure she's okay, but it might also be more than that. And maybe Monica Rambo's origin of becoming a superpowered superhero and perhaps being named Photon, uh, is beginning here, and it might have something to do with this radiation that is, seems to be anyway, potentially connected to not just the Big Bang, but also the Mind Stone. So really interesting stuff here as far as what mm. it might mean for the future. Yeah, or it means I, nothing at all, and I've wasted all of your time. No, no, no. This is the stuff people live for, dude. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I love this stuff. And by the way, I don't I don't think she gets her powers in this series. I think that's definitely for Captain Marvel 2. I feel like you let Captain Marvel 2 hit the ground running if everybody's already got their powers. Um, 
But then again, I mean, Carol will already have hers. Kamala Khan will already have hers. So yeah, mm-hmm. if Monica is uh, is catching up, but if there's an event where Monica and Kamala Khan are similarly affected, yeah. that sets up Monica going from this series, swinging by Jersey City and seeing Kamala Khan in Miss Marvel and Disney Plus, even though that hasn't mm-hmm. been announced. But maybe Monica pops up there before she goes to Captain Marvel 2 uh, with Kamala Shut- Khan. How crazy. And let's assume you're right, which again, you could be. That's a, I think it's an excellent theory. I love it. The only thing I, or not only thing, the, the thing that's crazy about that is how powerful is Wanda that people can go in and get superpowers coming out. That's, that's like, again, godlike powers. Well, man, it's not just walking out like she was doused in like that energy from Wanda to be mm-hmm. like hurtled out or expelled from Westview. So it might, uh, I, I'm not saying definitively, this is obviously sure. how Monica gets her powers. It's gotcha, just gotcha. Okay. something to, uh, something I'm watching for. Cause I'm literally watching for everything in this series. What if everything what if means the, everything and everything means nothing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. What if, because she was snapped by the infinity stone and that if she is part of the infinity stone as well, still and a mutant, but like being hit by both with all that kind of, you know, counter reacts of her getting power somehow. Something to think about, too. Yeah. 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 So another thing we cut to is we see this Agent Franklin. I don't know. Uh, I tried to look for an Agent Franklin. There are people with the last name Franklin in Marvel lore, but no specific indication as to who this is. Um, and we don't see this character's face. We still haven't, which means maybe this guy comes back and could just be a different actor for all we know. I don't know. Um, but, uh, against Jimmy Woo's advice, of course, this mission carried on. And, um, I, I do love that Jimmy Woo was advising Hayward against it, by the way. I just, and Hayward kind of shrugged it off. Also good to know that Jimmy Woo was uh, a ringer for your company softball team. Uh, cause they, that's that why they, they don't miss him at Quantico because softball season's over. Great, uh, oh. great line by Jimmy Woo. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so we see agent Franklin, going on. I mean, he was, it took him a long time to crawl through that tunnel. The way they cut away from that and cut back to it after a lot of the investigation has happened is a little, uh, to borrow a word from Jimmy Woo, hanky, uh, but anyway, uh, he goes through and of course the, uh, the tether, although, and I know I'm fast forwarding to this cause I'm just want to get through it now. And I know they, they split this up in the episode, but he goes through the barrier and the tether turns into a jump rope and the tether does have this red Wanda E power, uh, you know, hex power, reality altering power radiation that's kind of on it for a bit until they actually lift it up and they see this, you know, 1950s, 1960s kids uh, jump rope. Um, and those jump ropes lasted well beyond the 50s and 60s. I'm pretty sure I had one that looked exactly like that in the 80s when I was a kid. So anyway, uh, Franklin is lost in there. Uh, interesting the thing, it's Probably just the edit and doesn't necessarily mean anything, but the delivery of the word no from Wanda is different in uh, in this scene than when we than when we originally saw it back in episode two or saw it again in the previously on WandaVision uh, before all the fun started in this episode. So uh, but anyway, we never saw Agent Franklin again and we still haven't. But interesting to kind of confirm what this was as far as visually that the beekeeper, in addition to turning him into something that would make sense within this reality, so we don't break this reality of the 1960s sitcom at this point in time, that Agent Franklin went into that tunnel, 
with a full-on AIM-esque hazmat suit, only he wasn't working for AIM, he was working for S.W.O.R.D. Um, but yeah, they're commonly called beekeepers in Marvel Comics, and that's what he uh, trans—that's what he transformed into as he went through the barrier. But uh, while Agent Franklin is busy on his own journey, uh, we happen upon Darcy and what she's discovered. She is now watching TV. She got her old TV with the antenna and everything from that sword goon. And as they're talking about, uh, as she sees Wanda and Vision in there, she's talking about Vision saying he's dead, right? Not blipped, dead. And what happens from here is just so much fun, Paul, because they basically turn these characters in this show into us. They Mm -hmm. are now the viewers, just like we are, doing the best they can to make sense of all this and struggling mightily with it. Uh, They don't know anything more than we do. And Jimmy is saying, so you're saying the universe, because of that radiation, so you're saying the universe created a sitcom starring two Avengers, and Darcy says it's a working theory, although I would say it's not the universe that created a sitcom starring two Avengers, it's a woman who has powers that were either created or unlocked by something as old as the universe that has created a sitcom starring herself and a fellow Avenger. Um, But we do see that that was indeed Darcy taking notes and turning off the TV at the end of episode one with uh, a colorful light-up device that I don't know what its purpose is in the MCU for S.W.O.R.D. or for Darcy, but it is the Roadcaster Pro, another free plug uh, that I'm offering at the podcast. That's what you're hearing us on right now. That's what we're using to record this podcast. Um, so it's just fun to see that in the MCU. We have our own little meta connections to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, the investigation, Paul, I thought was so much fun. Wanda and Vision are identified immediately, but then we get, uh, we find out real names for not everybody, but some people. Mr. and Mrs. Hart are really Todd and Sharon Davis, and I really love the way they start referring to people. Like, they start saying that they've been cast as Mm -hmm. these characters, as opposed to like, oh, this is really this person. Uh, Abilash Tandon is Norm. Harold Copter is Jones, the real MVP. Isabel Matsueda is Beverly. John Collins is Herb. So Herb is not Herbert Wyndham, so we can take Herbert uh, or Herb as being the high evolutionary. I think that possibility, not the high evolutionary entirely, but Herb as the high evolutionary, I think that's off the table. Um, But we also see on this big board, and these all appear to be locals because they all have New Jersey driver's licenses. Um, And we know this is in Westview, New Jersey. Um, Agnes is up on the board, but there is no ID for Agnes. She has not been identified. Dottie also is not shown on the board. Uh, mm-hmm. Worth noting, however, that uh, she doesn't appear in the show until, of course, episode two. And at that point, we're not seeing them updating the board. They were taking all of this uh, mainly based on the first episode and early parts of the second episode. Although, I mean, if you're identifying Herb, uh, who had a bigger role mainly in the second episode, then I guess they could have spotted Dottie. But either way, we don't see Dottie being identified we know Agnes has not been identified. Um, and I love seeing as they're as they're up on the board what they don't know and the questions and theories like why is the perimeter around the Westview anomaly? Why is it a hexagonal shape? Why are, why is it sitcoms? Is time is it the same time and space as the outside world? Is vision alive? And then they also have on their list of possible suspects of who's behind this. We see scrolls is written there as well. Um, And then Darcy eventually uh, spots Monica sitting on a bench while Agnes and Wanda talk from it looks like a scene in the sitcoms that we didn't actually see 
um, in episodes one or two. Um, but anyway, yeah, really, really fun stuff with this investigation of just basically letting them, letting a lot of these characters play the role we've been playing for the past several weeks. I mean, it's, it's very much what we've been doing on this podcast. Yeah. No, I think that that was a great, great part. Again, this was such a great episode for many different reasons. And I and I think this was a great way for giving the general audience, and again, me being part of it, an understanding of what, you know, a little more of what's going on and what these people are. Like these are people that are, you know, those that there are still a couple, like the people from the first episode and, and kind of going from there to, okay, so. And don't think I didn't notice that, you know, I said Herb's real name is blah, blah, blah. I, and again, I, I, I appreciate you even said like, you know, we don't know that he, we can say that that character specifically is not, is not the high evolutionary, but there's something I think still there because again, he goes by Herb and yet that, and, and when Agnes and him talk, she, they know each other. Like they, they seem like they are definitely in on something. And we acknowledge that in the last episode. And I still, and remember I'd said that before, I'm like, you know, there's something about Agnes that I'm not, something doesn't add up with me. Right. As, you know, and I think if Herb isn't really, you know, if that's not really what, what the Herb really is, which I didn't really think so either, I think there's something, like that's not really, again, not really the real Agnes. Agnes is personifying herself as that character specifically. And maybe like maybe the high evolutionary could potentially be using that personification of John Collins as himself in some way. I think there, there's something there between those I two think characters. John Collins is still just John Collins, but Agnes is definitely a wild card here. I think part of the reason she's communicating with Herb, though, is I think in the way she communicates with him, because certainly this episode had me thinking more about that moment from last mm -hmm. week yep. where yeah, yeah. Herb was about to spill the beans and, and tell Vision the nature of what they are. And, uh, of course, Agnes is not, not positioning herself as an authority. She's not commanding him to stop. She is either scared or acting scared. She's putting off certainly the energy, that the impression that she is terrified and the way she looks at Herb to like not finish that sentence is almost like she's begging him, not commanding him, but begging him, please don't mm. finish that sentence because there are significant consequences if uh, we reveal what the truth of all of this is. But it's also quite possible that Herb doesn't actually know the truth. He only knows the truth that Agnes continues to allow him to believe and that Wanda is kind of making playing her part in having everybody believe this. Um, I think Agnes has done a really good job of blending in with the real people of Westview mm -hmm. so that they kind of have a sense of who they are. Not completely, because we saw Monica lose that sense of herself when she was Geraldine, but they have some sense of who they are and that you know, that things aren't right, um, but that they have to kind of ultimately fall in line. But it seems like Agnes is just playing the part. Like, yeah, I'm I'm a victim too. I'm a prisoner here as well. Yeah, small towns, so difficult to escape. Uh, that's me too, guys, and that's not her. She mm -hmm. has more control in this environment. Does she have total control? We don't know. We know Wanda has a lot of control, but it doesn't mean she controls all of it. Um, and Agnes seems to have some based on footage we've seen from upcoming episodes. 
so it seems, and just the general sense of Agnes being very influential in this reality, because she's the only one who's really trying to get Wanda to do anything in this reality. Nobody else really tries to get them to do anything as much as Agnes is really pushing things forward, trying to get Vision and Wanda together to make a baby, to, you know, by talking about seduction techniques and wanting to set the scene uh, for their special night on August 23rd. And then, uh, of course, the the key to everything, whether that was treating Dottie as a distraction to have Wanda focused on Dottie when Agnes is really the one that she should be focused on, or maybe Dottie really was the key to everything. And Dottie, who also has not yet been identified as a real person in the show, uh, Wu says real person when Darcy's referring to her, but Wu doesn't actually know that. They haven't ID'd Dottie yet. So was Dottie really giving a blessing at the end of this fundraiser talent show ritual for the children to allow the pregnancy to happen. I mean, that was certainly the sequence of events. Wanda wasn't showing her pregnancy immediately after she and Vision hooked up. And also their hooking up wouldn't necessarily create babies anyway. Vision is a synthesoid, not a human man. Wanda, enhanced in everything with her powers, still a human woman. So something else was at play here. There still was some sort of ritualistic witchcraft happening in episode two. And Agnes seemed to be driving a lot of that so Agnes not being identified here as a real person with a, New Jer- a, a at least not yet, not yet being identified as a real person with a New Jersey driver's license, just like everybody else, it makes her stand out, but she's already been standing out. And I, I got to believe there's a reason why. And that's either because she is behind all of this or she is protecting or Wanda is still the source of all of this and the one with the most control and Agnes is just doing her best to protect Wanda from herself or Agnes is knows that Wanda is very powerful Agnes knows that she herself is very powerful and that they are drivers within in this reality and there still is someone else call it the high evolutionary call it Mephisto but somebody else who has some grand scheme of taking advantage of this situation and Agnes is just trying to get out in front of that person in hopes of ultimately helping Wanda and the children. And these are the theories that we have been going on off of. And everybody has for the past, I mean, even before the show started airing. So we still don't definitively know those answers. And we will talk about even in more detail at the end of the episode of what specifically we are told at the end of this mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's still plenty of reason to be taking a long look at Agnes based on this investigation sequence where nobody seems to really know who she is. Yeah, man, this is a uh, Agatha. I, I we, let's be real. She's, she's an ally of some sorts. Yeah. And, or she is in the MCU version and she is an amalgamation of where we we're wondering what about Agnes? What about high evolutionary? What about Mephisto? What if she's a combination of a couple of those characters and that's how they do it in the MCU adaptation. And I think that's possible. I think that there's, and this is why I think that the high evolutionary is more, at least I think he's more of a possibility in this, in this series than Mephisto. Mephisto is a very heavy, heavy thing to introduce and they could introduce it in this. I think that seems more, to be honest, uh, more realistic in Dr. Strange too. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Adam with a uh, nightmare, he could be a minion of Mephisto. You could say like kind of, which would make a lot more sense to, to be honest. Um, but 
with, with the high evolutionary and, and for those who don't know, I, I did some deep reading, which I, I love that kind of stuff uh, on MC, uh, on Marvel Unlimited. And I wanted to specifically go to the high evolutionary um, back issues. And I wanted to read kind of where, cause I, again, my, my understanding of the high evolutionary is, is a lot of different, you know, more specific, just like bad guy. And I, I found out some interesting things and, and he definitely, he has a tie to where Agatha is mm-hmm. in, in Wanagar mountain. And he also has a tie to not being a complete, 100% bad guy necessarily either. He actually has, I had no idea until, again, I don't read Wikipedia pages or watch YouTube videos about explaining things to me. I rather just read the comics myself. It's way more fun. And I had, had no idea as I was reading, reading that he has ties to Adam Warlock. And I was like, oh, okay. And so anyway, for those who don't know, that was a character that's potentially going to be introduced in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Right. So there's, and that, I'm just going to end it on that for Lucy Hive Evolutionary uh, and his, my whole idea. I think he's still on the table. I still, I still think Agatha and him could still be behind it. You're right, Sean. That she, Agatha definitely could be an amalgam of different things because that's what the MCU has done is taken a lot of different aspects of different characters, sometimes different characterizations or what have you and made them and kind of did their own thing with them while also still keeping the core of the character, getting the magic of the MCU. I definitely think the high evolutionary will have a place in the MCU at some point. Oh, for and sure. I def- well, right, right. But I think specifically it makes a lot of sense because right now Wanda, which we'll get to in a little bit, there's gotta be a reason what's going on besides just Wanda. But anyway, I digress. But yeah, I definitely think that it's, it's Agnes is not is even more than what she is. I still don't think, Han is the the real the real Agatha in my opinion. I think there's something else at work. Yeah, or she's somebody else. I think she is Agnes slash Agatha Harkness, but it's just the question of is she also someone else in the MCU version of things? But the High Evolutionary is going to pop up somewhere. Maybe yes. that's Wandavision. Maybe that's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Certainly, there's been a lot of speculation that could be involved there with the creation of Rocket. So. Yes. Which is something I didn't even consider, by the way, and it blew my mind when I read that, and I was like, God damn it. Yeah, so it's something that very well could be the case with that character, and, and again, may not be here because going to pop up in Guardians 3 or someplace cosmic in the MCU, but the character absolutely has ties to Wanda and Pietro in the comics, so there's plenty of reason for the character to pop up here, at least as yeah. far as the source material is concerned. Doesn't mean that's what's going to happen, but anyway, yes. as we continue on with the episode... Um, something very interesting happens though, because as, uh, Darcy notices Dottie for the first time and at this place they've never been before with the meeting at the swim club, we get this, we get the radio call. We get the other side of it. The Wanda, you know, do you read me? Wanda, who's doing this to you? As Jimmy Woo is trying to communicate. And that was also another discovery of Darcy to see if they could at least try this and it doesn't work out, but it says good effort, but we know it worked. Darcy was right. She just doesn't get to know that she's right because mm-hmm. we know that Wanda heard it and we know that Dottie heard it. Uh, we remember them looking at and reacting to the radio and Dottie even saying, who is that? But as Darcy says later on in the show, someone is censoring the broadcast. And that's another key question is who's doing that part of it? And we will address that as we go on here. But <laughs> we, in the cut that we know S.W.O.R.D. is seeing... 
We never see Wanda or Dottie look at the radio. We don't see the glass break, and we don't see the cut on Dottie's hand. We do hear the glass break right as it cuts from right before Dottie and Wanda were going to look at the radio, and it cuts back to uh, Dottie making her awkward housewife joke. We hear, you actually can hear, if you listen, you can, you can hear the glass break, but you just don't see the damage that it did. And Darcy does clock the awkward nature of it, but we don't actually see it. And it's a very key thing here because, of course, we know that there's something that gets cut out when we get to the 70s episode. But think about something else that we never saw them react to. And you could say that it was because up until this moment, you could have argued, oh, they just, it was a weird thing and they just didn't have any information to go on. So it didn't make the cut. It wasn't worth being in the script. But they never reacted to the choking at the dinner party. Yep. And, like, yep, and exactly. we know for sure now that the reason they never reacted to it is because they didn't see it. And so whoever is censoring this broadcast is trying to give off the impression, or rather trying to prevent anyone from getting the impression that there are harmful things happening here. You don't get to mm-hmm. see when there's real danger in Westview. That in sitcom world, everything is happy. And because this is a skewed sitcom world, sure, there are awkward moments, but that's as bad as things get here. Things are just a little awkward now and again. But for the most part, this is all just harmless fun and everybody's happy. Um, But yeah, the way they are, whoever is broadcasting this and certainly seems to be Wanda, um, but somebody's controlling this feed to make sure people don't see the things that might make them even more motivated to just invade Westview and maybe bring this life that Wanda and maybe Agnes is also enjoying or trying to benefit from in some way, uh, bringing it all to an end. Hmm. Who could be doing the editing on in the direction on this, Sean? Hmm. Anyway, let's continue. Yeah, no, we will we will get to it because it's it I want to circle back to it after we get uh, what yes. Monica says. But yes, um yes. we then move to the seventies and of course Darcy asked the another question that we've been asking. Why are we moving forward in time? Like we know the uh interview explanation of like, yeah, we want to explore classic sitcoms. Great. But what's the in story reason why we're moving forward in time? I mean, it could of course be similar to why sitcoms and You all know my theory on this, um, and it goes back over a year ago, thinking that, yeah, I think the reason why is because this is about, thematically, this is about escapism in many ways. I mean, this is dealing with trauma through the lens of escapism and how escapism can go too far if it goes all the way to the point of just completely denying uh, the challenges that you face, the obstacles that you face, and yes, the tragedies that you endure in life, but this was Wanda's escape, maybe Pietro's escape as well, that uh, at, at some point, uh, you know, in her life where Sokovia was a failed state and a dangerous place to live where Wanda and Pietro were growing up, safety was found in reruns of classic American sitcoms. So much so that the family, Wanda, Pietro, mom and dad, could have all been sitting in the living room watching a sitcom when the first Stark missile hit. And maybe that's something we see at some point via flashback in this series. So um, 
And there was something that Kristen Anderson Lopez uh, said recently in an interview that points to it, but I won't go too specific on that here, uh, that maybe we actually will see a flashback to Sokovia, uh, to that moment that Pietro described in Avengers Age of Ultron. But yeah, as we're looking at and, and moving forward in time, uh, we get other moments where like Jimmy Woo and Darcy are just honest to goodness viewers of the show, like Darcy getting kind of emotional when Wanda gives birth, saying like, what, I'm invested uh, Jimmy Woo saying, I can't believe Wanda and Vision are having a baby and totally like meaning it in the sense of the show, um, which I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, but then, of course, yeah, they see that Woo clocks Geraldine saying Ultron and is correct in saying this is the first reference to our reality. That's something that hasn't happened before. And even when Darcy sees Wanda with that look that she gave Geraldine as she approached Geraldine in last week's episode, Darcy sees that as well and says, this is different. And then it cuts to credits with Wanda and Vision holding their babies, Tommy and Billy. And this is another way of showing that because even Darcy says it like this is different. So that even says like the whole dinner sequence like didn't happen at all. Not just the the length of the choking for Mr. Hart. But probably the fact that he started choking like at all probably never aired in the show, just like they never show anything other than you hear a glass break. But that's it. As far as Dottie, like they've never shown this much of things going bad in Westview until this moment. But they still don't quite show it. It stops short and we cut to the credits and the names in the credits are actual real names of people who are credited on WandaVision. Produced by Leanne Patrick, that is the post-production coordinator for the show. Directed by uh, Chicago Suzuki, that is the art director for WandaVision. It says written by Amanda Weir, and I don't see Amanda Weir having WandaVision on her IMDb page, but she has been a post-production supervisor on other projects, so perhaps that was her role on, uh, on WandaVision. But yes, this is where Darcy is picking up on it. Someone is censoring the broadcast, but we'll still hold on that speculation until we get through uh, this moment with Wanda. I have one quick oh, go thing for I want it. to add. Yeah, really quick. Uh, only about, because I know the big stuff's about to come. The only, the only thing I want to add, and maybe you've already said this before in previous episodes, I think the reason we're going in time um, with the different sitcoms is because I think Wanda probably watched these as a kid. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's, that's, where we're, that's why we're doing this. These are all things that she grew up watching. Absolutely. And she associates with herself. So to me, which again is going to be extremely tragic because if we find out that she basically was abandoned and her and Pietro just watch TV all the time and that's why they're doing this just adds another layer. Might not of like, even be abandoned. I, I like I said, I, you, I think we, yeah. they could be watching it with their parents. I mean, that's true too. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, but yeah, adds another layer of that. Oh yeah. No, this devastating. Yeah. I, I've been on this theory for a while that, yeah, this is, but I, I don't even think the show is trying to hide this, you know, that, okay. Um, that, Wanda was, you know, this is sitcoms because Wanda loves sitcoms. There's no other reason why it would be sitcoms. Sure. There's, I can't think of any other reason. And when we talk about the idea of comfort, that uh, the allure of comfort that can be provided in our various forms of escapism, which for many of us is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But before I had the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I also had these classic sitcoms and there's a certain 
sense of familiarity. There's a certain sense of home that comes from these things and safety that comes from these things. Because look, in the same way that someone is censoring these broadcasts, that's what classic sitcoms offered. They offered a very different, and let's just be real, inauthentic sense of life, right? That everything was always fine. And the worst things got, although... It's really important, though, that we're about to go into the 80s, because if we're talking about sitcoms in the 50s and 60s, we're not really talking about life getting like even anywhere close to real. It's just everything was fine. And the biggest drama was really more of a minor inconvenience. There was no severe consequence that was happening in these things. And so it was very easy to kind of fall into. And this also just so happens to be the time in WandaVision and the time in Westview where things actually aren't breaking down quite so much. But it would appear that things are going to break down more and more and more as time goes on. But that's also kind of a, a reflection of the way that sitcoms incorporated more and more of real life. Not that they ever incorporated all of it, but there was more of it. Like growing up as a fan of, well, all of these sitcoms, but the sitcoms of my generation, our generation, the 80s and 90s, and maybe some of this was happening in 70s sitcoms, I think to a lesser extent, maybe dramas at the time. But growing up in the 80s with these sitcoms, that was where once in a while there would have to be a real life episode. And it was usually because, you know, there would be families and kids involved. It was usually like a drugs or an alcohol episode. Um, they're at a party and it's not even one of the kids from the main family. It's the friend who gets high or gets drunk or whatever. But I think that sort of thing where it became... Dealing with more, like I said, it's still very, very cleansed in the way sitcoms presented them, but you do deal with more real world issues. You start to tip those scales in that direction a little bit in 80s and 90s and then, of course, 2000 sitcoms. And so I think it's a great way to kind of have this progression, because as you go on, I'm sure Monica was a or not Monica, Wanda, Monica probably, too, as well. But I'm sure Wanda was a fan of all of these shows. And I, I think that you know, part of this is all going to start breaking down more and more as we as we continue on with this series. And this is where it's going to get harder because the sitcoms aren't quite as cleansed as they used to be. So there's going to be this very, you know, what happens in WandaVision, I think, is going to mirror uh, American television in, in many, many ways. And I don't know if that's all intentional and by design or if that's just coincidental with the way just things just kind of have to progress in this series. But anyway, yeah, long story short, uh, not short at all, because it's me talking. Um, yeah, this, I, I think this all goes back to Wanda's love of sitcoms. Um, so as far as some of the other stuff or the next thing is we get we get the scene that we missed last week or the portion of the scene that we missed is Wanda was advancing on Geraldine. And then next thing we knew, Geraldine was gone. She had to rush home. Well, we get the full interaction this time. And uh, I also love that the aspect ratio is not four by three television, which tells us that this is a real thing that happened in Westview, um, not part of the broadcast. And so, I mean, all of these things are real to some extent. Um, but Wanda saying you're not my neighbor and you're definitely not my friend. You are a stranger and an outsider. And right now you are trespassing here and I want you to leave. And then she uses her hex powers uh, to expel Monica from Westview, and then she puts everything together to cover it up. But if you haven't clocked it the first time through, or 
you've probably seen the episode four or five times by now. Many of you have, I'm sure, who are listening. But pay close attention to the way Wanda reacts to what she's just done. It's a great little performance note from Elizabeth Olsen where it feels like there is almost a sense of disbelief at what she's just done because it was a very violent response and a disproportionately violent response to Geraldine just asking a question about Ultron. And yes, that allowed, we talked about the reasons why that makes uh, Wanda perceive Geraldine as a threat because she's a threat to this reality and, and just how real it can be and whether or not Wanda's going to be able to maintain her grasp of it. But it is a disproportionately violent response. And Wanda, even after she cleans it up, seems surprised by herself and a little disappointed by herself. And it also shows that she doesn't actually believe what she's going to tell Vision a few moments from now, that she has everything under control. At least that's how I'm reading Elizabeth Olsen's performance so far uh, in this scene. But uh, what we also get is a different version of that conversation between Vision and Wanda, uh, Vision and Wanda the where's Geraldine question. And when Wanda gives the answer this time, she turns around. We see dead gray Vision with that hole in his head because his head is not indestructible, despite Wanda's first line in WandaVision. Uh, it, there it is with a big hole in it uh, where the Mind Stone was pried out by Thanos. And that just, that visual shook me. Um, and I, it's just a synthesoid, but I love that damn synthesoid. And it shook me when I saw Dead Gray Vision in Infinity War and to see it in that almost zombified sort of way um, it was, uh, I gotta say, that one really affected me. I loved it. Um, I did not see that coming, um, but that visual was just so, so striking and so impactful. I was not expecting that and expecting that, excuse me. And uh, my buddy Matt on Twitter literally had this thing where he's like, I was, you know, not expecting horror vibes from from this and he just like straight up was totally blown away and i was too yeah. i what the first thing i thought of sean was white vision of course from avengers west coast you know me well you, you first thing i thought first thing i thought was oh my god second thing i thought was white vision well right right and so i i immediately thought of that that version of vision because and for those who don't know uh the vision character goes through it he goes through an alternating uh, body experience. Um, he becomes more of a robot in that form, which is interesting if you think about it, because when he eventually becomes that version of the vision in the comic books, he basically leaves Wanda because in the, in the comic books, he becomes that version of vision to save Avengers. He alters himself to save everybody. And Scarlet, Witch is like, Oh, vision, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I do not have feelings for you. I am no longer that person that's based off those emotions, whatever. And PC a later. And that's when she starts a relationship up with uh, wonder man. And which again, vision is based off of wonder man as well. So right. woo, we're getting deep in the weeds here, but hear me out. What's it's what fast, we do here. No, no, yeah, I, I yeah no, exactly. no need to apologize for it, even though we both That's keep right. doing it. Yeah, exactly. So what I love about this is that it's this is either and I'm good with either one. Honestly, it's either an Easter egg for white vision and are giving us the idea because, again, he's literally that version of vision without a piece of his brain, that version of vision gone, essentially mm -hmm. that, that part of vision 
or they are definitely telling us that white vision is coming into this version of the MCU, which again, I'm good with either one. And I love that. And again, maybe it's, I'm reading too much into it and it could be that third option as well, which is totally fine too, because I'll take what I can get. But I love it because it's not safe. I mm. love it because it's something that, that I think this show that I have grown to love. And again, I still don't love that first episode, but it's gotten better every episode where I'm like, yes, I'm invested. This is different. This is cool. This is what I expected the show to be. And that's what I, we got out of this. And I was not expecting this kind of zombified vision with that missing piece out of his head. And I also got to think, this is that's literally vision. That's not I don't think it's her actually having a no pun intended a vision of vision. And this is a you know, this is actually the physical portion of vision that she brought or someone brought with her. And she's using it to uh, manipulate and move around into uh, this Westview world. So that's actually the real vision just you know walking around but it's been she's using her hex powers her reality powers to power him into a normal looking vision so that's what i read into it anyway and i'm i'm sticking to it and i want that to happen so it was amazing this whole oh god so good this so good but yeah i i'm i'm praying that we get the future vision uh basically through this and this is that this is like their way of giving us that through this uh wandavision show so it's one of two things because or one of more than two things. It could be vision. Yeah. This is how vision is walking around in Westview is all gray with that giant hole in his head. Could be that could also be, though, that the reason Wanda saw that is not because that's how vision is actually walking around in Westview, but it's just that psychological break in the reality that she saw what she didn't want to see because she was reminded of her real trauma and grief that she's trying to hide from in this reality. So uh, it's, I don't know if it's definitive. I could see it going either way. Yeah. Uh, that this is how vision is walking around or even that part of it was imagined in, in vision's body isn't even there. Although it seems like vision's body is there based on some other stuff uh, that they played as a, you know, promo for the rest of the season to come uh, that was released on Friday and I'll talk more about that elsewhere. But uh, as far as what we see here, yeah, it it leans in that direction, though, of, yeah, Vision is kind of walking around with that hole in his head. But then it's the questions of what exactly does that mean for Vision? Because it's described in Infinity War that he is not just the Mind Stone. He is more than that. He is Tony mm -hmm. Stark. He is Bruce Banner. He is Jarvis. He is Ultron. He is all of those things combined with the Mind Stone. And effectively, he has to be now combined with his own self, right? In the years that he's been alive, that's also developed something for him. And it would seem like, as many people have spotted in Infinity War, when Corvus, Cla when Corvus Glaive comes for Vision, Shuri looks at Corvus Glaive, sees that Corvus Glaive is coming, looks back at her little fancy Wakanda computer screen, taps a couple things, which I has to be sure he's saving her work up until that point. And then, of course, everything carries on from there. And so if we know that, and that may or may not have anything to do with this, but even if we're not talking about Shuri saving her work, going back to that point that Vision is not alive only because of the Mind Stone. It might have been 
the last piece, although actually it wasn't the last piece. The last piece was lightning from Thor, but uh, to bring Vision to life. But obviously the Mind Stone was a key component of that. But if Vision is not the Mind Stone all by himself, and he is more than that, then maybe all these other parts of Vision are still around, and this is what Vision is without the Mind Stone. And maybe what's taken the place of the Mind Stone is a synthesized version of it via Wanda's Mind Stone powers. And we actually know, we saw her take control of the Mind Stone while it was in Vision's head to have him increase his density, because that's one of the things he can do. She made him do it to the point where he fell completely through the bottom of Avengers Compound and was on his way toward the center of the Earth in Captain America Civil War. So if Wanda has that level of control over the Mind Stone, then she might be able to have synthesized something just to get by, to have vision in this reality, if he is physically there in Westview. But I I think what's really interesting about it to me, besides all of the things I just talked about, another really interesting point about this, though, is the way Wanda looks away. When she sees that version of vision, either because he's really standing there, or she's now imagining that, she's now imagining her real reality instead of this fake one, instead of this facade, she can't stand to look at it. And that moment, just that snap of her looking away, and it's a great, another great piece of acting by Elizabeth Olsen, because the way she reacts to it, it, it symbolizes everything that's happening here. This is Wanda looking away from her pain. It's Wanda looking away from her trauma and her grief. Uh, she just can't stand to look at it, and that's why... Uh, she wants to be here uh, in this home in Westview. And I, I think it's important to also note with Vision, though, as I talk about him being more than the Mind Stone and even a synthesized Mind Stone effect, if Wanda is behind that in any way, there's still Vision still clearly has agency because Wanda mm-hmm. would not be wanting Vision to ask questions, but he is. Wanda would not be wanting Vision to be skeptical of this, but he is. So there's certainly plenty of vision that has his own thoughts, uh, his own emotions and and everything about this um, that still seems to be in play here. It's not all just Wanda controlling him like a puppet. There may be that may be part of it, but I don't think that's necessarily all of it Um, because vision is even trying to do some convincing here. You know, when he says we don't have to stay here, we could go wherever we want. And she says, no, we can't. This is our home. And uh, he says, are you sure? Oh, don't worry, darling. I have everything under control. I don't think she believes that based on how she reacted to what she did to Geraldine slash uh, Monica. But even that line of no, we can't. This is our home. Mm -hmm. It's such a sad line from Wanda, because when she's saying no, we can't, in a lot of ways, it's almost like she's telling Vision, no, you can't. You know, Mm -hmm. you can't. I can go anywhere. I, I can't really because I don't want to go without you. And you can't. Uh, you are. You have to be here because this is the only reality in which you get to be alive. We'll see if that's ultimately true uh, for Vision. But also, I, I think that you know when she walks away from that after you know I have everything under control. That look that Vision gives her again. It's Vision's own agency here. He's not mm-hmm. just a puppet accepting everything Wanda tells him. He doesn't buy it when she says he has every, that she has everything under control. He knows that something's up, and, and that means that there is something, I think, some, something very real of Vision is alive in this world 
somehow uh, because he's he's clearly having his own thoughts, his own questions, and his own response to Wanda that uh, is eventually going to put them at odds. Going back to what I said before, that if this is truly the that white version of all white version of Vision from the Avengers West Coast comic books that uh, John Byrne and I, I believe that version of uh, Vision was or started with that era. Could be wrong, but if it's that same Vision, then this version of Vision is not in love with Wanda and would add even more I tragedy. Think, I think this version is. I think that's why he's so concerned. Mm. I think I think white vision is what we would get should vision emerge from this reality and still be alive. I think exactly. that's when yeah. we get that version of it as opposed to um, this one is still despite minus the the hole in his forehead, uh, the same version of vision. Cause he clearly loves and, and cares about and is worried about Wanda. Um, uh, but he may not be if he emerges from this reality and, ah, uh, I see the part of him that's missing, um, you know, becomes, it, it is not just a physical thing that's missing. It, it becomes a piece of his soul and, and his identity and who right, he really right. is. Um, so it's, it's this thing where maybe vision can survive outside of Westview, but not all of him. And I, See, I think and, that's yeah. where we would get uh, white vision. If if vision survives this at all, and he may just be dead by the end of all this, if he True. survives, I think the that white vision West Coast Avengers version, I think that's the form he takes. Yeah, I think. But here's where I think that. And again, it's slim possibility, but it would add it would make a lot more sense, too, if she forced this kind of bubble around them and put vision into this, because let's say because we don't know what what he was like we just know he was maybe on the table dead and she brought him there we and right. again i'd be i'd be fine with that too I, I like what you're saying as well i think both are, would be fine i do think it'd add an extra layer of tragedy if like let's say vision just kind of popped up like a la asia ultron but actually we don't see that but it's actually what's what happens and she's like vision we almost have a flashback if you will and it's like vision you're alive we can you know whatever and he's like you know i don't you know i don't know I don't care about you because basically that's basically what he does in the comic books and it just breaks her heart. And what if she basically is, you know, personifying these, what she remembers vision to be onto in, in this Wanda vision reality. And that's again, maybe and that's what's conflicting with vision right now. Again, I'd be fine with either one. I think sure. both, those are both, I think both good. And I like what you're saying too, because that would again, add credence to the fact that there's there's consequences to what she's doing so i'm i'm down with either one to be honest but again yeah. this whole ending of having wanda and what she does to uh, monica at the end of this is really like nuts because yeah when you when you have that ending with with her in the previous episode you think she just simply transports her like it's a you know whatever which i again assumed but when yeah. we get what actually happened, Sean, yeah. it's not I, gentle. Yeah. I was like, holy crap. Like, first of all, first thing I thought of was, okay, this is like totally 616, like yeah. crazy Wanda. Like they're going there. 100%. Yeah. No, I mean, puts her through a few walls and then yeah. shoots her however far it was from the house to the edge of the border. I mean, we know it's like a five mile perimeter or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so sends her just flying violently out of Westview. Yeah, it, it was that's you know, Wanda was hostile in in that moment. Oh, sure you're hostile. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> she was. But you know, well, you know, let's just get to Monica's bit there. I mean, it's sure, yeah. she says it's Wanda, it's all Wanda. Mhm. 
I'm all about that first line. Obviously, it's Wanda. I don't know that I buy it's all Wanda. Yeah, and same here. (laughs) Some of that I I think we've already alluded to. Agnes is still somebody who's in a driver's seat. Maybe not the driver's seat of the most powerful vehicle here with the biggest engine. Um, I'll leave that analogy alone going forward. But she is certainly someone who has power and has some degree of control here, at least some. How that compares to Wanda's degree of control, we do not yet know. But Agnes is a player here somehow. It's just a matter of us finally figuring out where she fits in. There's still a possibility of other forces outside of that, be it the high evolutionary or be it um, be it Mephisto. Paul Bettany did talk about in an interview this week and even said he probably shouldn't have said anything like this. But when he was on, I think it lights camera pod or something like that um, for Barstool Sports or something like he said something to the effect of how. He had uh, very intense scenes with uh, an actor who's not been announced for the show yet. Um, so that points to another major character being involved, and that could be High Evolutionary or Mephisto um, or Wonder Man or Grim Reaper. Dude, I don't know. Um, if I'm Wonder Man even... makes an appearance in the yeah. Sean, like a real Wonder Man, well, look, I will... there's Wonder Man concept art behind Jack Schaefer in one of the featurettes. I know. For yes. so, like, there are still things that seem to be in play in this series that have not been touched upon yet. Wonder. And Monica's, uh, you know, statement of "It's all Wanda." Yes, that would be her perspective. That's what she has experienced. She's really only been interacting with Wanda. We've never even seen Geraldine talk to Agnes, for example. She talked to Wanda at the swim club, Wanda again at the talent show, and then Wanda again at Wanda's house. Those are the interactions we saw from Geraldine in Westview. We did not see her interact with anyone else. So sure, from her perspective, it is all Wanda. And maybe that's the answer for the show. But for my money... I'm not actually betting on any of this because I don't feel confident in any bet. Yeah, um, no, I only feel confident that I lose my money. Yeah. But to say it's all Wanda feels just too simple and too easy to give us this truth as the whole truth in episode four out of nine. This feels like it's playing on our assumptions, right? And it's playing on what was always going to be one of the prevailing theories because it's been around for as long as we've been talking about this show, just about that. Of course, Wanda is going to be the source of all of this. And of course it's going to be her. We know that she has the ability to warp reality. And we know that based on this comic book storyline, house of M that there was a time when it was all her who was creating this alternate reality and this chaos situation and all of the stuff. And so of course that's going to be the answer. So why not if we've been speculating like crazy and they know we have at this point because we've been doing what their sword agents and FBI agents are doing in this episode, scrambling to try and draw conclusions here and figure out what's going on to give us this very simple thing to latch onto and say it's all Wanda. And, and, and we grab that and say, OK, this is where it goes from here. But that's, I think, part of what sets us up for another surprise later on down the line is that as we continue to go on, we'll find out. Yes, it's Wanda. But it's not that simple to say it's all Wanda. There are other forces at play. There are other characters making an impact here. Man, there, yeah. I, first of all, I think it would be 
not completely um i wouldn't say a rule is out completely sean but if kevin feige and the powers that be and the creators decided to make this have this series have no protagonist but basically just be wanda doing everything would be one of the riskiest things you i say risk or how about gutsiest Mm. uh decisions you could do in a giant franchise like this which if they did honestly i'd almost like that better than high evolution or mephisto because it shows you they have no fear Sure. (laughs) if they could pull that off holy crap that would be incredible i don't think so wanda is too i think she's too important to the to the franchise of the avengers i know some people might be like what do you say that it's because one you she's a great uh, representation for women and powerful women and you need to have her in the mcu and be a vital hero and for that for for that honestly i think she's a great character and i think they're doing a great job of showing um, they're showing us that how, how people are, you know, they have, they're affected by their, their trauma. And right now we're seeing, you know, Wanda's trauma in action. And I don't think that should be a detriment to a character, at least in a mainstream. Again, if it's smaller art go by all means, but this is a mainstream aimed at families, you know, show you got to give, she's got to be heroic and I want to see her be heroic. I think that's one of the problems I have with the character in the comics, to be honest, is that she's just crazy, you know? And, and though that is, it plays, well, it plays okay in the comic books at times. I think it's more important for her to be more heroic in the MCU. Cause I think she's a great character. And I think that that's where they're headed with this, to be honest. I think that this is, I, I don't think she, it's just her. If it is, I'd be like, hey, that's awesome. That's, that's gutsy, gutsy sure. move. But but I do think there is someone at play. I think there is something that's that's altering and, and manipulating her. But I do think the trauma is still powering everything. And it's right. what's it's being manipulated beyond what she's feeling. That is That to me is evident. And I think, again, I, I love why I love this stuff in general and I think a lot, like whether it be Star Wars or any big franchise thing where a lot of people who are maybe the, the artsy-fartsy types who don't like this stuff or whatever, the reason that I like this stuff is that you're getting a a, tra- a story about trauma that's that's doused in fantasy and superheroes and all that stuff. And it's just, a again, a, a way for younger people or people who don't really like their super artsy things. I like artsy stuff, don't get me wrong. This is kind of you know breaking it down here. But it gives them I, these people who don't like that stuff. Or again, when I was a kid, this is my introduction to these ideas of trauma and things like that. I I learned them through superheroes and through Star Wars. That's why these things make, mean so much to me now as an adult. Not just because they look cool. I mean, that definitely makes it the most you know entertaining. But how it's sta- standed this long with me is because of these these tales and these stories. And right now, the, the tales of of Wanda's trauma in this is so engaging and so interesting. It, yeah, yeah. I just, I love it. And I think that we gotta, we gotta keep that and seeing that being manipulated. I think it also shows how, you know, people are vulnerable in these times. Right. And I think that's what we're going to get from that. And then that's what I want to see. And at least from that point is that people can be vulnerable and these are life lessons that we can learn as sure children or as adults, you know, but again, I go back to being a kid. This is why I love the comics so much is that I learned a lot about life 
through these characters, like for instances, just like this. And I think we're about to see a, a, the, the powers, you know, or young people are going to uh, see it again. Something that's doused in superheroes and, and, and all this, you know, craziness, a way about people being preyed upon through their trauma and how messed up that is and how it, we, those things can, you know, lead to the, you know, the wrong road. If we allow people to manipulate us, you know, on the outside. And again, I'm really anticipating who that person is and we, we, we can go on and on and on who it is, but I think it's, it's really going to be a, I mean, the, see, the performances we're getting from Elizabeth Olsen right now are just so good. I mean, right. it's not been, it, there's not been a, a, a telegraphed or, or even a minor performance as far as, or mediocre performance or whatever. It's been a plus 10 out of 10 every freaking it's episode as great of a performance as there's been throughout the entirety of the MCU. Absolutely. And if, if it, and I'm assuming it's going to continue because it has not let up once. And after four episodes, even the little bit we get from her in this is great. Yeah. I think the, the climax of whatever that climax is. And that's why I think there's going to be a, uh, excuse me, antagonist is because seeing her react, being manipulated and all of that, from a power level, but I think a dramatic level, I cannot wait to see what Elizabeth Olsen has in store um, for us in this performance at the very end. Cause I think it's going to be special. I really do think it's going to be. And I think we, we, it's been special right now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it, I mean, but it's going to be epic. Great. So yes. I, yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll just end on just, I'm, what we're getting here is special. And I think that we're, it's going to be an antagonist who it is. I don't know. But I think that where we're headed is going to be tragic and it's going to be just a, a real special ending to the series. At least I'm hoping and I'm thinking it will happen. Well, they're certainly on pace for that. And yeah. Elizabeth Olsen's performance has been so special already. And it just gets more and more special with each episode. And I expect that trend to continue all the way through the ninth and final episode of this series. And when I say that, it's all Wanda, and I don't quite believe that part of it, that it's literally all Wanda. That doesn't mean that there is a central antagonist who isn't Wanda, by the way. You know, Wanda, there may not necessarily be a more traditional uh, antagonist in this story, as we would normally expect, a, a true villain in the story, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Wanda may still be the primary source of all of this. Um, I mean, she's definitely the source of the the power that seems to be guiding all of this. At least that seems to be based on the Marvel science that we got in this episode. So what we might see, even if we're talking about a character like Agnes having an ulterior motive, um, or even High Evolutionary or Mephisto, should they pop up in this series, um, which I, I'm not as confident in after this episode, but you know, still things that are on the table and Simon Williams and his brother Eric, Wonder Man and uh, Grim Reaper, respectively. Sure, all of these different characters could potentially pop up and have a hand in this. That still doesn't mean they're the arch-villain. It just means they might be, uh, for lack of a better phrase, the B-villain, you know, yeah. the supporting villain, because they're just being opportunistic. They're just trying to take advantage of this situation, uh, but it's still Wanda who created this whole thing and is the most powerful driving force of this entire thing. So um, it, it's still, there's still, could, we still could end up in a story with a story where there is no main antagonist, but I would say whether there's a main antagonist or not, 
I think Marvel Studios has shown that they are fearless in what they've done with this show so far. Mm-hmm. And I think Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen has been fearless in her performance mm-hmm. in the places that she has been willing to go. And I think that there is, as other forces at play, because we've, I've talked about Wanda is also being manipulated at the same time. While she's while she has so much control here, she has been manipulated. We know that Agnes has been influencing her, maybe Dottie as well to some extent. So other forces are at play. It's not literally all Wanda, but yeah, maybe it's just mainly Wanda at the very least. I don't know where it's going to go from here, but I think this is such a wonderful story. Before I wrap up, uh, I will note because the song is awesome uh, and also very, uh, I think, appropriate for playing at the end of this episode. Jimi Hendrix Voodoo Child plays at the end of this episode. And um, you could certainly say the concept of Voodoo Child is that Billy and Tommy is the, you know, the witchcraft created voodoo children here. Mm. Maybe. Um, But there's also the lyrics that play over the credits, the select the portion of the song Uh, Most of it is just that wailing guitar, Um, but we do get some of the lyrics and the selection that we get besides the chorus is, if I don't meet you no more in this world, then I'll meet you on the next one and don't be late, don't be late. Certainly feels reminiscent of kind of where Wanda and Vision are right now at this stage in their lives or the end of life for Vision. Um, And certainly where Wanda is maybe creating the next world where she gets to meet the people that she loves, whom she has lost. Um, And also, remember the end of that song uh, that also plays in here, I don't take no for an answer. Um, Wanda Mm. is not taking no for an answer. uh, as Or no is the answer she gives when anybody tries to break this reality. But I think this story is has a very timeless quality in how relatable it is. Uh, I've talked about this repeatedly on this episode and throughout, but it continues to bear repeating of the nature of escapism and our relationship with it relative to the trauma that we experience. And there, there's something very timeless about that, which is why you can use classic sitcoms. But let's also be real here. I mean, this is what a lot of us have been doing for the past year is escaping because frankly in many ways we haven't had much else to do because we don't get to go do the things that we would normally do to live our lives so part of the way that we maybe we get to go to work if we're fortunate enough to still be able to do that safely but you know we're stuck at home and we're escaping into our marvel cinematic universe our favorite tv shows I know I can't be the only one who's gone back and rewatched favorite shows like Parks and Recreation, where just because it's comfort for me, it's safety for me. Um, so I can certainly relate to what Wanda is going through, and I think a lot of people can. And so it is this thing where certainly not that Marvel would have wanted it this way. Nobody would have wanted a global pandemic. Um, but sometimes just the way life works out a story comes along at a time where it it wasn't planned that way, but it just so happens that it touches upon something that's very, very real and very current. And uh, as I said, also in this case of WandaVision has a timeless quality to it as well. Um, It's just beautiful the way this show is coming together. Uh, I think it's extraordinary thus far, and I I can't wait to see what it's going to, how things are going to unfold over the next five episodes. It's been it feels like it's been quite a ride uh, just through these four. I mean, we're not even officially at the midway point of the season. 
and there's so much that we still don't know. And even when we were given some answers, they don't feel complete. They don't feel like the whole story. Uh, there's so much more to uncover, and I'm so happy about that. But what is most exciting about all of this for me, though, is is how how much this is resonating, even without having all the answers. Because if it's just about the mystery and our curiosity, if that's all that's driving our satisfaction, our interest in this series, then it goes away as soon as we finish the series and we have all the answers. The way that I'm in the level on which I'm enjoying this show, and I think a lot of people are, even without having all the answers, I think the the emotion is so powerful that even when we have all the answers and it's no longer about the mystery, this is why we'll keep watching. Mm-hmm. Moments like these scenes between Monica and, and Wanda, Vision and Wanda, these are things that we will keep coming back to and keep being fascinated by, and we, we, we will continue to engage with this material even when it turns into an open book test and it's not gambling anymore. We actually know uh, the end result of how all of this came together. Um, but it's been such, as I said, an amazing ride so far. And it still feels like there is, it's just going to get bigger and bigger from here. And, and I, where it goes from here, I think we will, now that we've peeled back the curtain, I think we will go back and forth between uh, Swords Base Camp outside of Westview and sitcoms in Westview, how they handle that with the cutting of the show. Is it going to be intercut? Is it going to be bookended? Is it going to be, you know, sword at the beginning or end of an episode or beginning and end of an episode with a sitcom in between? I don't know how they're going to structure it, but it feels like we'll be going back and forth now. Uh, But I am very much looking forward to the 1980s this week. And so that uh, coming in over the two hour mark (laughs) is where we will finally wrap up this spoiler review. Yeah, two hour review for a uh, 30 minute show. (laughs) Look, hey, look. We've done hour-long shows for two-minute trailers, so a, a two-hour by that measure, a two-hour review for a half-hour episode seems reasonable. Um, so I'm good. Still with impressive that. in my book. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to tap my own, tap myself on that one. Yeah. So, uh, well, this is actually my second two-hour spoiler review or discussion of Wandavision right. today. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, earlier, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, fortunate enough to be asked to be a guest on the Slash Film Daily podcast. Um, so please check that out. I'm guessing a lot of you already listened to that show, but uh, if you haven't, you can check that out. You can hear me talking about uh, the show there. Uh, I may be back at some point uh, this season for WandaVision, uh, but it was a pleasure being on the show with them. But then, of course, coming here and nerding out about this stuff with my boy Paul. Uh, Mm -hmm. This has just been so, so much fun, and it will continue to be as we go on. So where can you hear more of us talking if two hours just wasn't (laughs) enough? Um, You could uh, sign up for the Patreon where there are exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else. Patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. We have Patreon credit scenes where we discuss additional topics um, beyond what's in this episode. So for this Patreon credit scene, I will be going into... The uh, and breaking down. I need to look at it more uh, before I do it, but uh, so it may not be out immediately when this episode is out. Um, but we'll look at the uh, the preview for uh, the weeks to come on WandaVision and break down some of that material. And I wanted to break that out separately because I know not everybody wants to watch and, and hear about that material anyway. Uh, they'd rather just watch the show as it's presented to them. It's definitely the sort of trailer material that I know Paul doesn't like watching. <laughs> so, no, I did not. I did not. 
Yeah, so, especially with especially, yeah. especially right now with mid season stuff. Man. Yeah, I wanna, I've yeah, I've on. already seen it, so I'll I'll take the hit. I will break that okay. one down uh, solo. Yeah. But uh, so you can find all that sort of material and all other kinds of exclusive podcasts. That's patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. But that's not all. Another part of the Patreon uh, advantages or benefits is our exclusive Discord community, uh, where people like Alex come up with really great theories about uh, Kamala Khan perhaps getting her powers via this show. Um, But also, it's where uh, weekly right now, every Saturday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, and if you heard this episode early enough after it went up, uh, you could still watch uh, episode four with me and our community. So watch a vision. Saturdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time. It's WandaVision watch-alongs, watch parties, call them whatever you will, uh, but we're doing that on a weekly basis. So uh, that's all that's available on the Patreon. And speaking of that, thank you so much to Lorenzo S. and Daisy T. They are some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber so they can access some of that exclusive content and perhaps also participate in our watch parties like watch vision And then make sure you're following us in all the places that you can. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, a.k.a. Thug at Herman22. Oh, that's the two ends, by the way. Uh, also, check out my other uh, podcast, The Comic Binge, with my good buddy Chris Clow. We just dropped an episode where we are covering uh, Daredevil Last Rights, where basically Daredevil and uh, it's also called like basically Follow the Kingpin, but uh, it's uh, early 90s Daredevil goodness uh, with art by Lee Weeks, phenomenal artist, and a solid little story. And we, uh, we have the uh, website. Uh, Edmund or head honcho uh, from manwithoutfear.com who uh, joined us. And he is a daredevil just officiato or whatever you want to say that word. And uh, you know, just brilliant. He's awesome. So yeah, check us out there. And uh, my star Wars podcast, the saga continues. Uh, and that's uh, also the saga continues on Twitter. Follow us there. Hopefully I'll have some more announcements. I think for some stuff I got coming up, hopefully the next couple of months. So be on the lookout. Things are coming. I think officiato is close enough to aficionado. I'll give you credit yeah, for see, it. I knew, I knew, I can't <laughs> pronounce words. You know this. I it happens. No, like I, I think it's part of your charm and I, I'm oh, still waiting you. for the return of Dormammu. I am very, Dormammu has, has not died. He will yeah, come back. Very, back. very excited about that. Hopefully Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness were somewhere along the yeah. way. Dor- we need that thing of like at the end of MCU movies, any of the credits, Dormammu will return. Will return. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> that we yes. need. Um, in the event that you still want to hear more words from me or read them, you can follow me at Mr. Sean Gerber on Twitter and Instagram. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks so much for listening to MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next week.